Hello, this is Candace Stewart. I'm the Director of Communications for the College of Healthcare Information Management Executives. And I have with me today, Will Conaway with HCI. Will has taken a new position with HCI. Um, he has a really interesting, diverse background. So before we go into some questions, Will, I was hoping that you could tell people a little bit about yourself. Sure, thank you, Candace. I appreciate that. Um, as noted, I'm Will Conaway. I am now the Vice President of Delivery uh, for the HCI Group, which is part of Tech Mahindra Co Company. Um, I have a diverse background, as you noted. Unlike a lot of people, I didn't spend my whole life within the healthcare industry. I actually started out in the automotive industry, which was a, actually, I believe, a, a tremendous benefit for me. Uh, many years ago, the automotive industry was, it's very robust in its technology at the point, and still very robust. Uh, learned a lot about technology at that point and how to be an executive. Also, I've done a lot of consulting work over the years and been in healthcare now for a long time, long time. I don't want to date myself here though, but a very long time. Uh, my work's always been this blend of operations and strategy and technology. I've been very fortunate to work for three very great companies in healthcare uh, as an executive roles, and that being Providence Health and Services, uh, Dignity Health, which obviously is now becoming Common Spirit, where I was the Chief of Staff of the IT Department. And I was also, my last big role in uh, the technology executive leadership, I was at uh, Prime Healthcare, uh, where they have 45 hospitals, 175 specialty clinics, very large organization, where I was their Vice President of Technology and their Chief Information Officer. A uh, few of the odd things uh, about me people always like to ask about. I do also work at Cornell University. I am the vertical lead of leadership there, and uh, I've always say I'm very fortunate there to get to teach uh, someone I consider the finest master level students in the world in the disciplines of the psychology of leadership, uh, decision making, strategies, and negotiations. Also through uh, Cornell, I've been able to work uh, through eCornell, where I've been very fortunate to work with some great companies over the years, tie in their, their strategy, even the, the psychology of technology, and uh, tying that over to their overreaching strategies, and a few of those companies would be IBM, Accor, Sylvania, uh, JP Morgan, Marriott, and even Amazon. Um, also, I'm on the Forbes Technology Council. I'm the chair of the Kansas State University Psychology Alumni uh, Council. I'm on the executive leadership team for the American Heart Association, that's the LA branch. Also have been on the Los Angeles World Affairs Council for the last few years. I've uh, been fortunate enough to write a few articles for Forbes magazine that have been in uh, the, the magazine here in the last year. I've also had some consumer advisory councils that I've been part of uh, with uh, AT&T, Verizon, and Manifest, and was very proud to serve on the Board of Governors at the Federation of American Hospitals. Yeah, it's pretty diverse. You know, I, I, I believe that um, uh, the, a, a diverse background really helps you greatly in, in healthcare. Um, healthcare is such a, a complex industry to be in, and I think anything you can do to borrow from another industry greatly helps. Yeah. So, you know, one thing that's interesting, Will, um, when we talk with our members at Chime, um, a lot of them, of course, work in technology, but they're in this leadership role where they're building teams and um, they're working within their healthcare system. With your background, how have you um, developed teams? What do you do when you're looking to put a team together? I think that's a good question. Team building is, it's a, I always think team building is an interesting uh, a concept to begin with. And 
when I, when I say that, it, it's interesting that all organizations really talk about teamwork and the, and the real great value that, that teams bring. But there's a strange thing about that. We rarely really reward teams. You see that in sports, you know, as, as, as a person, um, you know, their, their skills, like someone like Michael Jordan, you know, being around other great people, build those team stuff. I always try to view building a team much like a, a sports in that you need to make sure that the, you pick a good group. And I'm going to use the word diversity here, but it's more than just diversity and inclusion or DNI type studies. I think you have to have a diversity of skill set of the people in there. And by having that different skill set, I always look for people who, who have a different background than someone else who might come in and look at things. Because often when a person comes in and they're not as familiar with what's going on with the situation, they ask the questions that are often missed or ask the questions that others will not ask because they're embarrassed to ask. So I think that the, the best thing you can do when you're finding a team is diversity and inclusion, always a diversity of skill and background set. And I'd also say that the key of any time you build a team is to understand the team that you're building and how those people fit into the project at hand and the overreaching mm -hmm. strategy of that plan and what those goals and metrics will be. Uh, that'll help you start to pick and choose uh, the correct people because you know you can have a team of stars and still not win and still not perform well. You have to have- Right, right. So, so in that context, how do you get them to work together? Well, people working together is always a funny thing. I mean, there's just some times where people don't work together well. I think the key really is it's creating that atmosphere. If you cannot create an atmosphere or an environment where people can have the autonomy to really perform well, you have issues. So what I've always tried to do is let people understand, once again, define the project, let people know, provide those, those measurements around the project, provide the historical analysis for everybody so they understand how you got to where you are today. Let them know what you're trying to improve. And also I think it's, it's important and I, um, to, for people to understand that there's a start and end to a project and how you hand that project off to somebody else. So um, the keys are really those type of things. And I, I, and I hate to say this, and the last thing would really be get out of people's way sometimes. Let mm -hmm. them and do their job and try not to micromanage things to the point where uh, people really just can't perform. And I, and I see that a lot. And I see that a lot uh, with younger managers who feel that they really need to get probably more involved in things than they, than they should. And I think you learn that with experience that hire people who have good skills and let them do their job. Right. And that, of course, then lets you freeze up some time and some some of the, your brain width to be able to address some large problems that we have in healthcare. Correct? Well, you're you're, you're definitely correct in that. Um, it's that is an absolute key is for people to have a little extra time. And, it, and it's funny you mentioned that. I just had a talk recently with a a group of people, and a lot of them were young managers and young healthcare people. And one of the things that I kept hearing from people is, you know, my, my calendar is not always full, it needs to be full. And to your point there, I, I, I'm pretty sure I know where you're going with this, but if, if you're 100% maxed out all the time, you do nothing but just do the same things over and over and you never get better, the processes never get better, the people around you never get better. You need to have some time to think, 
you need to have some time to be able to rework things and uh, and really sit down and focus on what you're really trying to do. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. And you know, one other thing I'm wondering about, Will, in today's work environment, a lot of teams are remote. Um, and I think it's challenging to stay connected. How do you do that when you're physically apart? Well, you know, I, I've been, I've been very lucky over the years, uh, and I'll use Dignity Health as an example in an organization that's done a tremendous job over the years uh, with remote employees and also at, at Prime Healthcare. And I was there being in 14 states and having a very large IT department. It's actually the IT department's not only in 14 states, but in two countries. You learn very quickly how to get people you know, together. And I'd say the real key to that is, is to be respectful of time, uh, make sure that you only have, the, uh, beyond just being respectful of time, I should say, make sure you have the right people and the decision makers in those meetings when you're trying to be remote. Because one of the things that I often see is there's too many people who ask someone else to fill in uh, at meetings and, and nothing gets done. So you just end up in this constant remote world of meeting after meeting that is going nowhere. So get the right people in the meetings, value people's times, have an agenda put in place. And, and, and some of the things I'm saying here, these aren't any different than if you were in a regular meeting and it really shouldn't be. Your virtual meeting should be done well enough as though people were in that room. And a lot of those, those faults that I see just in virtual meetings or even just in you know, live meetings is that there's never those agendas. Make sure you have a good agenda put in place and make sure people have time to talk and make sure that everybody is represented that's in that meeting. And that's one of the things that I've seen that, um, that has gone wrong for a lot of organizations. When I, when I talk to other CIOs, they, they tell me that, they are, that you know, they're finally feeling like they're getting the remote team up to speed on how to act. And, and this goes back to that psychology of leadership part. The technology part, I was very impressed with how CIOs around this country and other IT executives were able to get people up and working remote, you know, in, in such a quick period of time. Mm -hmm. But that people are prepared from the psychology aspects of it uh, to really be able to, um, to, to, to function that way. And I think you're starting to see people get better at that. But it really is a matter of have a clear focus, have an agenda, know where you're going with the meeting, and then know what your expected outcomes are because it's going to be very difficult to get, you know, 15 people on a phone and people just start randomly talking about whatever and think you're going to get to an end. No different than any other meeting. Well, you know, that's interesting. So, you know, for our members and anybody who's, you know, in a, in a chief information officer role or something similar to that, they're now working with the C-suite in mm -hmm. health systems. Um, some of them are also interacting with the board. Do you think that the, um, the principles that you put in place for working with the team are the same for working at that level, or are they different? They're different. Uh, you know, and I'll tell you, this is, this is an interesting thing and something that uh, I've learned over the years of uh, grading a lot of papers, uh, as I've taught, is that getting to the point, it becomes more and more important the higher level you get. It is often working with younger people or people who are not in an executive roles at the, that stage in their career, it can be easier for those groups to kind of talk and get off topic a little bit and come back. Uh, they also can have longer meetings and longer communications. As you get into 
uh, IT people especially are not always great communicators, and I don't think there's anybody's going to argue with me on that. I mean, obviously, as you move up the ladder, you have to be to be successful, but uh, it's it's something that many people in IT are not great about. But when you're talking to people at the board and or at the executive level, and you need to go on, you need to be on point and get to the topic. You know, I, I've said this to, before to students, and I'll, and I'll go back to the thing. I, I've literally gotten in the papers before, and I didn't know what the topic was until page eight. And I always tell people, but it takes eight pages for someone to, to tell me what they're going to talk about. I, I probably already lost interest or not paying attention anymore at this point. So it's the same thing as an executive in IT. When you're going to talk to the CEO, get right to the point, define what you're going to talk about and why that's important. And then back to my, my thing, I like to put measurements around things, big metric person and OKR person. And that is when you go in and you're talking to uh, the, the people on the board, it's, it's good to tell them if it's a large healthcare system, is it one hospital that's being effective or one employee? That may get people's attention, but not, you know, get the attention. Needed. But if you go in and say, hey, you know, 35 of our 36 hospitals are having this issue. Now you have people's attention. So use a well-defined plan as you go in because you can easily hit into some stumbling blocks as, a, as an IT leader if you don't have some metrics and, and, and define things quickly. Yeah, I think that's great advice. You know, one thing I'm wondering though is let's say I'm a, a, I've, I've grown in my career, I've gone several steps, I've now ascended to the role of uh, the C-suite mm -hmm. and um, I'm working with this group of people now as I've been going through these different stages of my career, I've had people above me or, or mentoring me or, or somehow in that, that environment who I could look to and I could learn from. But when you go to this next level, do you have the same thing? You should. And, and boy, that is one of the best questions I've had someone ask me in a while. <clears throat> really love that question. You know, one of the things I see are, are people who first start out their career are very receptive to coaching, mentoring, and, and they're, they're different things, you know, coaching and mentoring, but people are very receptive of those things when they get young in their career as a manager. You start to lose that, I've noticed, when people get at the director level. They seem to think they should know everything or they, they don't need help, and I really have seen this at, uh, at some, you know, higher executive levels, too, where people are scared to ask for help. But one thing that I've been really seeing over the years, and I've been fortunate enough to get to work with some really top-notch people who I've learned a great amount from, is people at the very top who are successful, they do. They still, at this point, have mentors and coaches. And once again, no different than someone in sports. If you were playing for, you know, the New York Yankees, let's say today, uh, you know, would, would you turn away help that from someone who is your batting coach or running coach or a fielding coach? Have a little variety, too, in, in the people you have. But to your point, you are right. Uh, it, it, it is a different dynamic, and it's probably a different dynamic of people or a person that you would have as you move up the, the ladder. And obviously, a lot of times it becomes less technical advice you're looking for, but more personal advice at the higher levels you get, or you know, even, hey, what do you think about this, uh, the bouncing idea off of? And, and something that's interesting is a couple years back, I, I, I was got to work with a couple people and I got to be their mentor for a short period of time. And I, I really can't say their names because it wouldn't be right. But I thought it was interesting that one of the things that I heard from people at top levels in companies is they felt like imposters. And I had to really get into the details with them and say, why is that? 
And I think this is a good advice for anybody young at a manager level or even at a director level who's moving fast. Keep in mind that everybody has some self-doubt in their abilities and everybody wonders, am I making the right decisions every day? The higher levels you get in a company, the more the job does become about, you know, disseminating information out to people, but also taking quick information in and being able to make the right decisions. So, you know, never be afraid to talk to somebody else. And my best advice I have learned over the years and something that I was lucky enough to get from a guy named Tom Dadalo, who was the CEO of Cooper Tire and Rubber Company years ago. And his comment to me was, if you need an answer now, it's no. If you give me time to think about it, it might be yes. And I think sometimes we have to look back and say, you know, let's stop right here. And, and especially from a business standpoint, I mean, it wouldn't work for a physician as well, obviously, but from a business standpoint, sometimes we need to take a step back and not feel like we just need to blurt an answer out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I've been hearing, uh, it's interesting with the pandemic, um, some of our members have talked about, obviously they had to move very quickly in some of the things they've been doing um, to roll out some programs, but it also sounds like the dynamics between both them and their teams and them and, and the C-suite and the board has changed mm-hmm. um, in, 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 in a way that's positive. Have you heard something similar to that? I have. And, and I think from an IT perspective, especially, I think this has been a really good time. And I'm, and I'm going to hit this on both ends. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be pro and negative here because I've heard a little of both. <clears throat> from the positive side, I think IT has really been in the spotlight. And we have seen some great leaders out there. Uh, people like Ray Lowe at Altamed has been able to do fantastic things. Uh, around COVID and being able to set clinics up fast and really, really shines, you know, a shining star right now. I've seen a lot of this where people have been able to, one, get remote workers up and working. Uh, We've seen not a ton of, you know, negative impact on patient care, which is fantastic. And I think there's a real greater appreciation for what IT has been able to do. Uh, And that, that needed to come around because there is nothing from the time a person comes into a hospital to the time they're discharged that isn't affected by IT anymore. So I think this has really shown not only the, the executive leadership in healthcare, but I think it's also the public. I talked to a lot of people who say, hey, I never understood the, the role that IT really played within healthcare. And I actually think it's a fantastic time to be in healthcare. I mean, there's probably been no other point in time where, where IT has had set the, such a positive effect on, uh, you know, the, the patient and, you know, the, the patient's outcomes and even how the hospital's doing. On the negative, I think we're going to see a ton of turnover. I think we've already seen some of that turnover that we're going to see, especially in the C-suite IT level work. IT people for several years have been saying that, look, we need to look more on the telemedicine, telehealth. This looks like, you know, a new virtual, you know, remote patient virtual visits are going to be the wave of the future, which obviously now uh, that is the case. But I think a lot of money hadn't been allocated to that. And a lot of um, uh, the C-levels have not saw that part of technology prior to COVID as being, you know, really the future of healthcare or even something that would make sense. Obviously now with some of the legal changes too, uh, you know, where there's more money from insurance and, and payers that are, that are getting back to the hospital on this. So it, it makes a financial impact too. But I expect to see some high turnover from in the CIO world over the next you know, few months. I'd say we've already started to see this, and even at, at the CEO level, 
where people are going to be, uh, I guess, I hate to say, uh, accused of maybe not doing what should have been done or not allocating funds or pushing hard enough for, for some of the things that, that, is, that, have, that have happened that, that over these last six months around COVID, why weren't we more prepared? Why didn't we have remote patient monitoring set up? Why didn't we have workers you know, better prepared to, to go work? So those who probably did not do as well or did not receive the funding over the last few years uh, may pay the price for that. Well, you know, that's, that's um, interesting. We talked a little bit um, previously about strategy and um, using healthcare IT as, as a strategic vision. Mm -hmm. um, can you elaborate on that a little bit? Oh, I'd love to talk about this topic. And I'll, I'll just say this, that IT strategy, in, in the bigger the facilities or the healthcare organization you run, the, the more complex it can be. But one of the things that that people really need to, to, to keep in mind when you look at IT strategy, there's little strategies that roll into a bigger strategy. And what I mean by that is you have a strategy as, as a CIO or a director or some type of a senior leader in IT, you have your strategies at your clinics that you need to make sure things are going well. You know, you have to be adding value no matter what your work's doing and adding ROI now. So you, you have your clinics, you have your hospitals, you have the strategy for that. You would have the strategy for your own department that people would look at. You know, how's that department doing? But all of that must roll up to the organization's overall strategies. And if you're not doing that, you could, you could succeed at the, the hospitals and the doctors could love you. You could succeed at the clinics and then doctors, nurses, all the providers love you. Your own department could think you're doing a great job. But if it's not promoting the vision, the values, you know, the, the, the defined outcomes and the accountability and the KPIs and OKRs of the system as a whole, you can still fail. And it is extremely important as a senior leader that you have a seat at the table. And one of the things that when I talk to other CIOs or have coached and mentored CIOs in the past at, at healthcare organizations is I tell them, make sure that you have a reporting type structure that is conducive to you having something to say and you being able to be part of the decision-making process. And also I would say maybe a key would be, are you in a position where you're being communicated to? Do you understand what's going on? Uh, I will say that of all the groups in, in healthcare, and I see this in other industries too, so it's just not healthcare, but often people in IT do not have a solid understanding of how their healthcare system is run. And I would almost go as far to say, and I will go as far as say, I guess here, they don't have a great understanding of maybe just some of what's going on in healthcare as an industry. And that is something that I would encourage any young person who's trying to move up the ladder to become a CIO or a CIO who's just starting out or even an experienced CIO, do some reading, you know, read the, the information that you see on Chime, really learn, talk to other people and understand healthcare as an industry. And that probably gets into payers, insurers, legal stuff, uh, things that may be going on down the future. Also, you know, just understanding more than just a technology part of it, but really understand healthcare as an industry. Right, right. 
Well, that's, you know, um, with your background and you've been involved in a number of industries, would you say healthcare is, is one of the most complicated, the most complicated? You know, and I think that's a, that's a brilliant question. And it could be a trap question here if I'm not careful. <laughs> <laughs> but, it, you know, healthcare is extremely complicated. I always say any industry, like, in, in especially healthcare right now, Healthcare is complicated in that you work on low margins and you have high complexity of services, and yet you're very um, regulated and you're one rule or two away at any point in time that you may not have a whole lot of uh, sway or, or power over from really changing how you do business every day. So healthcare is extremely uh, difficult uh, to maneuver. Uh, we know change is very slow and difficult. In, in, in difficult within healthcare. I mean, if you were to compare it to the auto industry, think about, I've heard things, you know, anywhere in, in healthcare, things change and, and, and things have rapidly sped up over the last couple of years. But let's just say, you know, every six, seven years, there's major changes within in healthcare. I've heard people say as long as, you know, 15, 16, 17 years, or major, you know, industry sweeps in healthcare really go by. But if you owned a, an automobile, you know, company, let's just say you're General Motors, Think if you were to change your car every 10 years, you know, the quality of the car or the product of the car or the engine, I mean, you'd be in a lot of trouble very quick and wouldn't be able to be very competitive. I'm seeing healthcare change rapidly over the last couple of years with this. Um, consumerism, obviously, and the consumer experience has really become a major part of healthcare, which I think is a positive thing. You know, mm -hmm. the understanding and addressing and ensuring that all the customers' interactions and outcomes are easy and convenient and timely, streamlined, and you know, those type of things will really continue to help propel um, healthcare uh, faster and, and, and really tighten things up uh, as far as uh, the business goes. Now, with that said, I know that healthcare is really struggling financially, but I think that could be said about a lot of industries. So is it more complex? I think if you really talk to the CEO at uh, General Mills or General Electric, or they may tell you they're pretty complex too, but uh, I would say that healthcare is as complex as any industry in, in the country, and I would say in the world. Right. And it's also, you know, intensely people-oriented, um, mm -hmm. right? I mean, it's, it's patients and physicians and, and all that. Does that play into it as well? It does. And, and I think that goes back into consumerism and probably even holistic individual health, where we're really trying to get you know, from population health and, you know, holistic individual health, patients are becoming a bigger part of their, their own health care. And this has always been the case in, in other industries. You know, they've always gotten people to be involved more in the, the experience of the product you buy. And you are spot on. It is a people industry. And we need not forget that, that that is really the, the key to, um, to health care. And you know it's it's the, the 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 patient and their family the experience that they have is is vital to the outcome of the patient and I think you're going to start seeing this become more vital just to where people go to get healthcare you know the the old rules that you know run as many people through the emergency department you know kind of that volume cures all uh, is is no longer there that's old school. And also uh, the, the days of, you know, executives saying that, you know, people come to our hospital because one, the proximity, if it's near, you're going to go there. Or two, my insurance is accepted here. I think things are really going to change. Uh, and I think COVID's putting that change to it where 
you might start seeing that insurance, you know, accepted everywhere. Uh, I, I think you're going to see some rules and some changes and the government probably get much more involved in the healthcare setting, which could, I, I don't know where that'll lead. That could be good or bad, depending on, uh, you know, the, the situation, but you are right. It is a people driven industry. And I'm going to make one other comment to that people driven industry. And this is why it's extremely important for people in healthcare technology to really work on their soft skills or their people skills. And we haven't seen that in the past a great deal or something that people thought about, but the, I actually believe the next wave, and I thought this for the last few years, the next wave of people who are running hospitals are gonna have to be extremely technical with their background because technology affects everything. And the fact that technology is such a large part of the budget of a healthcare system or uh, you know, even a, a private practice. There is so much money put in there that it, it's not like 10 years ago when I used to walk into a room and say, this is what I'd like to do. And, you know, it wasn't very expensive. Today, when you walk in, you get a lot of respect. I mean, the, and you'll get to know the CFO very well as a CIO. You'll be mm -hmm. an equal partner. So it's very important that, that the people in technology really work on those people skills because if, if you don't know technology, you cannot run a healthcare system anymore. I, it's just not possible. Hmm, interesting. And, um, you know, so we don't have much time remaining. So, Will, is there anything that you wanted to add? You know, it's, it's, I'll add this, that one, I'd like to say thank you to Chime for this, this opportunity. This is really great, and you guys are a wonderful organization and always proud to be part of anything you do. So, I really appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to add to just a, a couple things here. And that is, I think a lot of people in healthcare right now are extremely worried about failure. And I think that that is something that, um, that uh, the leadership, especially in IT leadership, uh, need to try to get over that and really understand that there's gonna be some failures and there's gonna be some failures right now, both financially, uh, with the pandemic and, and, and you know, people are growing to be better leaders every day. And you know, really view this as IT as a great learning experience and an opportunity for IT to really make a difference in the patient's life. So don't think of things as failure, think of them as opportunities, and that'll take you a, a lot further. The other thing I'll say is that um, a lot of the people I've talked with have said that you know, they're worried about the leadership at their facilities, they're worried about the leadership in the government, they're worried about leadership overall. You know, this is a country that you know, has always been able to rise to the challenge. And, you know, we've, I, I don't think, you know, we're a country of action and diligence and opportunity. So don't worry about the leadership. Don't worry about your own leadership with very few exception in history has, you know, the perfect person been in charge at the time of a pandemic or a war or other type of crisis. However, there's always been those people who have been able to, you know, create themselves and be that right leader. And we've seen this this great transformation of leadership, you know, in, in healthcare and other industries over the years, and even the government, from George Washington to Abraham Lincoln to FDR, there's always people who rise to that level. And I'd like to encourage IT people to realize this is an opportunity for people in IT leadership to really rise to the occasion, help out the healthcare system, help out the population. And this is really a worldwide opportunity for people and, you know, don't be afraid of failure, get in there, work hard, and really try to make a difference. 
Well, Will, thanks for taking some time to talk with us. And um, I would encourage everybody to read Will's articles in Forbes. Um, you know, they're, they're, we learn a lot and um, I am a checklist person. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciate that. <laughs> thank you so so much. again, yeah, thanks so much. Thank you. Thanks for joining us today. This is Candace Stewart with Chime and we hope to see you soon.